Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. The Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. He is a friend of the show. He is a... 1995 graduate of Simpson College in the state of Iowa. Apparently, he was a pitcher of some kind. He's the general manager of the Pacers. Let's bring on board Chad Buchanan. Chad, thanks for the time. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you, John? What was your fastball? What was it clocked? It was not very fast. I don't know if I could break a pane of glass, but I had a great circle change. That did, was my go-to pitch. Did you really? How often did you throw it? Against uh, the every other pitch with my circle change, I would grunt on my 82-mile-an-hour fastball, <laughs> so it looked like it was coming in like 92, and then my changeup just had them all off balance. Did you ever drop down and go sidearm back then? I didn't. You know, I was the Dan Quisenberry. I, <laughs> I tried that when I was growing up, but I just couldn't pull it off as a player. Yeah, the pride of 95 and Simpson College, it's Chad Buchanan who joins us. Hey, all in all, I know that it, it sucks, honestly. The weather outside today and thinking of, you know, being in the postseason and having Gambridge Fieldhouse rocking with a first-round playoff game with the Pacers. I mean, it, we, we get so used to that, certainly, and we miss that a great deal. So it does suck that you're out of the postseason. But at the same time, what do you really feel good about as you go from the regular the season now to what is one of the more important off seasons this franchise has seen in a while. Sure, I think we got a lot of things to be optimistic about, John. You know, we had obviously disappointed you're not playing the postseason, but I knew I think we were all expecting going into this year there was going to be a year of development and growth, and you know, seeing what we had. And I think looking back on it now, you've played 82 games, you win 35 games, which is a 10 game jump from the year before. You had. Tyrese becoming an all-star, averaging 20 and 10. You know, Ben and Drew making the Rising Stars game. Miles, you know, extending Miles, you know, having a great year. We got a lot of young players showing growth. We got a great coach. I mean, there's a lot of things to feel good about, even though it was a 35-win season. Um, but there's still work to be done. You know, we're, we're nowhere near where we want to get to. But this is, you know, step one of a process where we're, we are playing this time of year, you know, hopefully in, you know, the next year or two. And, um, I, I think that's what we're all striving for. I'm going to make you say next year. I'm going to make you say it. <laughs> well, I would like to be playing next year at this time, you know, but I, I, I can't promise anything right now. I am going to make you say it. Chad Buchanan, who is the Pacer General Manager on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You know, it's funny. I had Rick on the show back in October, and, and I, I bring this up all the time. In, in referencing how you handle a situation, he basically laid it out as, hey, you know what? Hang with us because this is a product that is being built right now. There are going to be good times, but there are going to be some bad times, too. So just understand that. So he laid out that for everybody. And then, Chad, you fast forward to December I mean, there were so many good winning reasons to get excited about this team. I, I thought that, you know, while you're being honest with the fan base, you also gave a reason for the fan base to be excited for the future, even if this team is not involved in the postseason. Sure. I think that was not only felt externally by you know fans, but it was felt internally by our players and our staff. And 
I think we felt, you know, you look back after those first 40 games, you look back, you're like, holy cow, we're, we're uh, further up the standings than we anticipated being. And it created a lot of excitement. And then, you know, you go through a stretch where, you know, Tyrese obviously has his injury and we had a little rough patch and there was kind of a little bit of a slap of reality, I think, for us. But it also, that optimism is still there. Those first 41 games did happen and how we played and, you know, the success we had, that did happen. And that's something to build on moving forward, uh, moving into next year. Hey, Chad, did you look back in December at that point when, when your team was, you know, above 500 playing its best? Did you think at that time that maybe that you guys had misjudged this team's opportunity at being better a little bit? I think that's pretty fair to say, John. I think, you know, we were hopeful that these young players would kind of develop. And several of them develop at a much faster pace than we anticipated. And that's a credit both the player but also our coaching staff of getting those guys in position to make a big jump we had some young players that were trying to prove themselves that they belonged in a rotation they belonged as a starter and you know they were all playing well simultaneously and Ty's a big reason for that Ty just breeds confidence in the people around him and he he makes others around him better it's what a true quarterback point guard leader does so um, it it was a little surprising I'm I'm not going to lie and say we expected to be where we were at at that point um, but you know we're also we're also realistic, and sure. hey, we got we got a lot of work to do with this roster to get to where we want to get to. Here's Chad Buchanan, the general manager of the Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You mentioned Tyrese Halliburton and what he brings to this team, and and what he does in helping his tim- teammates. I mean, I've described him as you know certainly he is a, a score. He's an elite level willing passer, and you know this team hasn't had that organizationally speaking around here in a, a long time I do want to ask you this if there was one thing that you're hoping that Halliburton improves upon this offseason to take that next step along with this team what is it I think that's an easy one I think Tyrese would answer it the same way you know I would or coach Carlisle or any of his teammates would is he's got to become a more impactful defender you know, he's got such an elite basketball cerebral brain um, that he's usually in the right position defensively, but sometimes he's, you know, not engaged in what he needs to do to contain the ball or guard a pick and roll. You know, some of his physicality, as his body matures and he gets stronger, he'll be able to navigate some of the things that a point guard has to defend. But I think he has the potential to be a very good defender. You know, he's an elite, elite offensive player right now, and I think Ty would tell you the same thing, that his next jump is on the other end of the floor. And if he becomes a, you know, a very good defender, there's no reason you're not talking about one of the best best players in the NBA at that point. Hey, you're talking about a team that needs to make that jump as well. I, I want to get to that because I, I brought this up. It is great when offensively, which is what the paces are, exciting offensively, you put up 135, but it's not so good when you give up 141. And, and my question is, you certainly have some things to deal with to try to add defensively to this team. And you talk about Tyrese Halliburton getting better defensively, but do you believe that uh, this core group right now has the ability to grow and to become better defensively? Or is a lot of that what you're going to need to find at this point in the offseason someplace else? I think it's a combination of both, John. I think our young players, it's typical in the NBA for a young player to want to 
establish themselves on the offensive end. That's how they feel they get recognition, how they get paid and, you know, get minutes. So that's kind of the focus for a lot of young players, and I think you saw that with our team this year. And um, they all know they need to grow on the other end of the floor. That was the common theme of every exit meeting we had with players this year was, I've got to be better on defense. I've got to guard the ball better. I've got to rebound better. You know, I, I, I think our players understand that. So there'll be some internal growth, but there is the opportunity for us with – you know, our picks, our cap room, you know, trades to try and help with that side of the ball too because we absolutely have to get better on the defensive side. I mean, we're it, it's fun to watch us, like you say, on a lot of nights we're scoring, the ball's moving, we're shooting threes, but then the night you, you took a loss. And, you know, that's no fun for anybody. And I think our players understand that. And, you know, it's a, a priority for our coaches and our entire organization to be better on the defensive side next year. And it's because if we're not, we'll be sitting here with 35, 36, 37 wins a year from now as well. Yeah, they'll be doing that. Chad Buchanan joins us. I, defense sucks. I mean, let's face it. If you ever played basketball, it does. And, and it, but it is a necessary, what I like to call an, an evil. You have to get stops. And I'm going to tell you this. You watch these playoff games, and we've only seen a couple of days of it through a couple of games so far in this first round. But... I mean, it's mandatory. If you don't find stops someplace, these offenses, and I mean everybody, are way too damn good to hope to survive a game where you can't find a stop. Those teams are the ones that move on here. You're absolutely right. And it's rare to see young players, and we had such a young team this year, you don't see a lot of young players thriving in the playoffs because it's a whole different level of basketball. I mean, you've seen it, John. Our fans have seen it. That The playoffs is just a different animal. And, you know, part of the reason our defense, you know, struggled this year is we had young players guarding high, high-level players. You know, we're putting Andrew Nemhart out there. He was a rookie a year ago. He was playing, in, you know, in the West Coast Conference, and now he's guarding James Harden one night. He's guarding Steph Curry the next night. He's guarding Damian Lillard the next night. So that impacts, you know, your overall defense. But it's also a great learning potential for a player like Drew who's going to build off of that experience and build off that knowledge. And But – the playoffs, I mean, for us to defend, um, you know, much less the regular season, you know, we, we've got to have a commitment from every player from top to bottom. See, Chad Buchanan, the general manager of the Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Since you brought him up, I, I want to bring up Andrew Nemhart. In, in terms of, of what I mentioned about December, maybe being surprised, maybe thinking at that moment, you, you misjudged that team when they were winning. Were you surprised overall with the type of season as a rookie that Nimhart gave you? Because, I, listen, I was excited for him. I thought it was going to take a little bit, but it was a bumpy ride. Don't get me wrong. For every rookie, it's going to be. But it seemed like that he got acclimated quicker than I think a lot of us thought. Was that the same for you? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you we draft a, a player pick 31 that's potentially going to be on the all-rookie team, but we saw that coming. I think we knew he had toughness and smarts. He had been well-coached coming into the draft, and um, we knew he was going to be unflappable. He's got a personality that he just doesn't get too high or too low, but he's extremely, extremely confident. And so we knew, like, the intangibles were there, but the adjustment that he made as fast as he made it was really remarkable. I, th- I think – the reality of it is when we drafted him, we anticipated him learning under Tyrese and TJ as our third point guard. I, mean, I don't think any of us envisioned him being our starting two guard. And it's a credit to him and it's credit to our staff for you know putting him in a position to have success. And you know, he took advantage of the opportunity. And like I said, he was out there guarding some of the elite players in the world on a nightly basis. And 
it's hard to replicate that for a young player, and it's going to only make him better in the long run. But really excited about his future. You know, Chad, it's funny, too. You mentioned the situations he was placed in. While it's bad because that means something injury-wise happened to somebody that's incredibly valuable, but it's also in terms of a positive valuable because now you're able to get a player like that experience where you really didn't expect it. They're thrust into it, and then when they respond positively, that's really going to make you feel good. 100%. 100%. Anything to accelerate a, a player's growth and development is a major plus for, especially for a young team like us. And I, I think Drew would tell you in talking with him in his exit meeting when Kevin and Rick and Lloyd and I talked to him, is like he, he wants more. He's like, I, I love that challenge. I loved being put on these elite players, these elite scores. And he learned a lot as the season went on. And I think you're going to see him grow on that end of the floor even more next year. And um, he, he's got such great versatility, versatility as a player, which um, for us playing next to Ty or playing behind Ty or playing with TJ or playing behind TJ, you can just thrust him in a lot of different roles and he adapts very quickly. So Chad Buchanan's with us. How did we see, how did you guys see Benedict Matherin evolve and mature over the course of his rookie season? I mean, we saw him get off to a great start. And I think we also saw some maturity. I mean, you saw officials, and I, I saw this at the Knicks game. You, you could tell that there was a point in time when Tony Brothers had had enough. And I think a lot of these guys had had enough hearing from him. But it seems like that he had matured. He had matured as a player as you move forward here. How, how much did you see that? And maybe even beyond what, beyond what I'm describing here, what, what did you see maturity-wise from Matherin in his first season, which was incredible as a rookie here, I felt? Yeah, he had a phenomenal, phenomenal rookie season. Like you said, he had such a great start out of the gates. And, you know, rookies can sometimes do that. You know, teams don't know what you can do, opposing coaches, players. So you have a little bit of an advantage. And I think you saw as the season wore on, you know, teams start to adapt to, hey, he's, he's wanting to drive to the basket. He's a driver. You know, let's, you know, let's really wall up at the rim. You know, anticipate his spin moves, whatever it might be, and it became a challenge for him. And it's it's great for his growth because he's got to figure out how to adapt. And I think by the end of the season, he wasn't shooting the ball as well as he was early on. But I think he was figuring more things out at the rim. And like you said, you know, he he gets frustrated when he feels like there's contact, he doesn't get a whistle. But I think he also matured in the sense like, hey, I can't I can't complain on every non-call because it's just not gonna not gonna help me in moving forward. But I think the biggest area of maturity for him is just his mentality of, of, you know, what this league is about and what I can do and what I can't do at this point. And I think he's going to use all of his learnings from the season and into this offseason and come back with a lot more to his game uh, than we even saw this year. What I, I noticed and I really like is he just doesn't give a crap about anything else. I mean, he wants to go out there and play and win. When the game's over, he leaves unless it's a, you know, maybe a close friend that's a former Arizona teammate. Otherwise, he's out of there. I mean, he's got one thing in mind, and that's what a lot of people describe Shane Steichen, the Colts' new head coach, as being all ball. And at a very young age, I describe Matherin in a similar fashion. He's all about ball, and that's it. He is all business all the time, and he is so driven, so motivated, so tough. I mean, I don't think people maybe realize his sprained ankle that he suffered. I mean, that puts a lot of players out for six to eight weeks, and he wanted to play the next game. And his toughness, his love for the game, his competitiveness – 
is just top notch. And like you said, he, he doesn't he's not into the making sure everybody likes him or, you know, making people notice him. He just wants to compete and win. And, you know, he's he's just steady every single day with that. And that's such a great quality to have. Chad Buchanan is the Pacer general manager. So who am I going to yell at if somebody trades Buddy Heald or TJ McConnell? Is it going to be you or Kevin? I'm going to yell at somebody. Don't do that. You can yell at Kevin. I mean, he's, okay. he's, yeah, yeah. Just yell at KP on that. I, I, I just, man, Chad, I'm, I, I look at both these guys. They have essential growing and winning pieces that you just can't find everywhere from the three-point shooting high volume wise of healed to an energy level and really now a style of play that's I think conducive to this team off the bench and and McConnell I think that they're essential personnel what say you uh, they are they are hard to not like. Uh, I totally understand what you're saying. You know, Buddy brings a personality and a life and joy to our building every day that's just impossible to replicate. And obviously, you talk about his shooting. He's one of the elite shooters that this league has seen over the last couple of seasons. And you know, that's that is hard to replace. If, if Buddy is not here, you know, that's that's hard to replace. You're not going to find guys who shoot with that level of consistency and confidence, you know, night in night out, and play every single night. And that, that is something that's really valued by us is his durability and his, his right. desire to play every game. You know, and then TJ, he's the heart and soul of, of our team. I mean, he's, he brings it every night off the bench. You see his competitiveness. You see his fire. You see his unselfishness, his toughness. It's, he gives, you know, every kid hope that grows up in, you know, in Indiana a chance. Well, if that guy can play in the NBA, maybe I can one day. You know, it's, it's that quality that, you know, just attracts people to want to follow him and follow his lead. So, yeah, if, if those guys, you know, they're such big parts of our team for, you know, for them to not be here, it would have to be obviously a pretty special, you know, situation for them to not be here. But that's the life of the NBA, too. It's just hard to predict what happens. Yeah, I just I, – I think they're both they, – they have, to me, produced – in a fashion and in, in different fashions to become essential for the progress of this team. That's just kind of how I view it. But obviously I know that it's a business and, and ultimately we shall see it. So Chad Buchanan, Pacer general manager with us via the Andy Moore automotive group hotline. So I got to ask you this just because I've been an active supporter of miles Turner for a while. And I feel incredibly vindicated with everybody around here. I tell people to stick it all the time and it makes me feel really good uh, because of the type of season that he had. And I think that he is just a perfect compliment as a big to Tyrese Halliburton. I do want to go back, however, to July with that offer sheet. Do you and Kevin and the organization, are you glad now that Phoenix matched that offer sheet and that obviously Miles was that centerpiece that could play off Halliburton and have the type of season that he did? I mean, how could you not be thrilled for Miles? I mean, I know you talk about supporting him, and um, you know Miles has been through a lot with us. And you know that situation last summer was, uh, you know, a lot went into that. But you know, some of it's us showing that we want to be aggressive to build this team. And um, but how things played out, we could not be happier. I mean, Miles. We knew if he was here, had opportunity to you know really take another step. You know, you know now he's the sole center playing with an elite passing point guard, playing with a coach who really believes in him, and a lot of pieces around him we thought could, could complement him. And sure enough, I mean, he, he took great strides this year for us and, you know, thrilled to have him extended. I think it was a great situation for both the team and Miles to, to lock him in for a couple more seasons. And I think he's, he's excited about where things are going, and he's obviously a tremendous fit with Ty 
And I think you saw that this year. And um, I think he, he's anxious to get started with next season. You know, I, I mentioned this because I, I love to, to tell people regarding Miles. I, I told you so. Do you think that his level of play this season through the entire season, do you think that that was uh, an I told you so? To you guys a little bit right there. And I, again, you take it no matter how you can get it. Don't get me wrong here. But you think there was a little bit of, I told you, this is how it could be, and especially with that combination of Halliburton? I'm sure that's part of it. I mean, Miles has always you know, wanted more of a role, wanted more opportunity. And you know, we've, we've, just our roster wasn't built for that necessarily, and now it was. And um, I think that's a big, big part of what motivates Miles is to show people that there is more to his game. And he did that this year. And my gosh, I, I hope to see another step even next year, and I think he, he's he's motivated to do that again next year. I mean, anybody that plays with Tyrese Halliburton is going to take another step with their, their growth, and Miles is the perfect example of it, and I think those two guys' chemistry is, is really special. All right, so I see I see in the future here this offseason you guys finding a wing that can also play a higher level of defense on the wing. I see Buddy Heald coming off the bench, and I see Buddy being, with that volume shooting from distance, sixth man of the year next year. You follow along with me here? You like that? I would take that. I mean, I think okay. that's a, you know, if that plays out that way, I would take that. <laughs> yeah. How active do you guys plan to be, you and Kevin and the organization, this off season? Because I, I think we're all expecting a lot out of it here, too. And I mean, is that what we should expect, you guys searching high and low to make this team playoff worthy, certainly next year? Well, you go from 25 wins to 35, you know, that's – that's hard, but it's not as hard as going from 35 to 45 or 50 wins. So, and that's what we want to do. You know, that is the goal is to make another jump next year. We're not, you know, we're not looking to just take this a five, six year process. We, we've got a, an all-star point guard that we want to put the right pieces around. And we've got a lot of opportunity this summer with our picks. Um, we got salary cap space. We got a lot of flexibility to be aggressive. Now it's, we got to see what's available out there, but you know, we want to be, aggressive in putting the right pieces to make to make a jump next year because we feel like this group is on the cusp of, of being a very very good team and but it's pieces away you know we're, we're not oblivious to our holes I mean we're we got a ways to go but we have the the, the pieces with our like I said our draft picks and our cap space to to go try and pursue a player whether it be a trade um, free agent we got different paths to do that, and we're going to try to do that this summer. I'm telling you, I think that, it, to me, you look at this, and Kevin and I have talked about this before, you know, having to, to sell, you know, this location and this team prior. But I think now, to me, it becomes an easier sell because of the style, the brand of basketball you play. Now you just got to put these pieces together. You guys view it that way, too? Maybe now this product being an easier sell than it was three or so years ago. Yes, I mean we got a Hall of Fame coach, you know, leading us and putting us our players in great position to play a, a, a fun-paced uh, offense, and you know we have a point guard that makes everybody else around him better. And NBA players see that is that they see Ty and they think that guy could help get me paid, and so that's just the reality of our of our league. And Indeed. I do think we're in better position than we were a year or two years ago to attract players to our team, and I think we've had. You know, our players will tell you they have opposing players come to them after the game saying, man, I really like how you guys play. It looks like you guys have a lot of fun. It looks like you have great chemistry. So that's that. players around the league see that, and they observe what other teams are doing, how they play, and 
so I think we're in a position now that we weren't in the last couple of years to attract players to our, to our roster. I think you're right with that, John. He had an overwhelming 82-mile-an-hour fastball and lived by the circle change back at Simpson <laughs> College in 1995. Pacer General Manager Chad Buchanan with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Man, I always appreciate you coming on, and I, I could keep you forever, but I know you got to run here. I appreciate that, and we will do it again as we move further along in the summertime and remember this time next year gamers field house has got to be rocking you know make sure that kevin understands this too okay i'll pass along the message i appreciate it john all right appreciate you chad thank you whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you Via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from the Athletic covering the Colts, it is Zach Kiefer. Zach, I appreciate you jumping on here. I'm just kind of curious out of this, and maybe I'm making because we we tend to make um, a lot out of really not much this time of year, uh, given the NFL draft and a lot of our conversations that we have talking endlessly about it. I saw this tweet from the Players Lounge. Uh, This is from uh, Omaha Productions, of course, Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning on Kentucky quarterback Will Levis. Quote, I think this guy might have been genetically engineered to be an NFL quarterback. All right. I'm curious. Could the... Could the Manning could the Manning quote at all sway an owner's opinion about which, which way to go, potentially at number four in this draft a week from Thursday? <laughs> well, John, it might not sway a lot of owners' opinions, but since but this we're talking one. about one owner in <laughs> particular, one. yeah, I mean, sure, I'm not ruling anything out. We know what Jim Irsay thinks of Peyton Manning, and, and, and it's as close as there is to gospel in this town, right? Now, to piggyback on that, will it sway Chris Ballard's opinion and Shane Steichen's opinion? No, it will not. And they know. They know what Will, May- Will Levis is made of. They know what his physical attributes are. They know what Anthony Richardson's physical attributes are as well. And and I want to make this clear. Like, Jim Irsay is not making this decision. Like, he's going to go with their reasoning on this. And I think Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen will team up to make the decision. But I do think Steichen's going to have a lot of say in this. So, you know, these are Jim Irsay's words. As long as there's no crazy decision. Now, now that, Jim, Ur- Jim Irsay did not say this, by the way. Jim Irsay, Manning said this. I want to make it clear. I didn't know if he misunderstood. Right. Manning said no, this. No, I got you. And my point is that if Irsay, which he normally does, takes a cue from Manning, this could become interesting. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I totally got you the whole time. Yeah. I, I don't okay. see it happening. Like, if, if they had decided on Richardson at four. And Ursay's like, well, Peyton really likes the way Will Levis is built. They're not going to go to Levis. No, please let please let me know. That. Please let me know that happens. Please, please let me know. If it if it does, I'll write the story, <laughs> and then I will just continue the chaotic in, inside look at the Colts. It went back to uh, last November. I love it. Absolutely love it out there. Do you think at all, and Zach Kiefer, the athletic, joins us, that this whole uh, swaying of the opinion, speaking of which, of Carolina evidently going with Bryce Young, and now they're being with Houston allegedly not wanting to draft a quarterback and going with a defensive player and the possibility of C.J. Stroud available at four 
Has that swayed an opinion? Might that sway an opinion inside the Colts leading up to next Thursday? Let's play this out, right? So I, I think it's enough to not completely disregard, right? So, and, and I got no inside ties to the Houston Texans, but from everything I heard from people that do know the Texans, it sounds like they've really, really decided they want Bryce Young, right, at, at two. And let's say they don't get Bryce Young, and, and Carolina goes Bryce Young at one. If they don't love C.J. Stroud, and I don't know if we're overplaying this in the media or not. It might be something that might not, but it's not a small thing that, that C.J. Stroud is represented by the same agent that represents Deshaun Watson. And there's probably a little bit of animosity that's lingered from that ending last year, right? Does Houston want to jump in with C.J. Stroud and deal with a little bit of the same situation, different players, but the same owner, agent, excuse me, that that Stroud has? Maybe. Maybe it doesn't. But I don't think it's something we can ignore. So if Houston's dead set on Bryce Young and they don't get Bryce Young, I could see them going defense. That opens up things in a huge way for the Indianapolis Colts. And this is a situation they have to prepare for. Because if it happens, you have to know how much you're willing to go up if you want to go up to three to get C.J. Stroud. Do they, do they have Stroud ranked significantly higher than Levis and Richardson? I would imagine they have him ranked higher. I don't know how much the gap is. Maybe they don't. Maybe they have Richardson higher. I don't know. But you need to have a trade package ready to go, in my opinion, because if you – want to move up, you're going to have to play a little defense. You're going to have to block out. Maybe another team tries to sneak in there. Maybe it's Las Vegas. Maybe it's Seattle. Maybe it's Tennessee in your own division. But let me ask you this, John. If if they do that, if they can get up to three and get C.J. Stroud, after all this Levis and Richardson talk, does Chris Ballard come out of this smelling like roses, not having to give up the haul that Carolina did to go up to one to get their guy, having to give up a little bit, but probably not the ton, to go up one spot to get, you know, maybe the second-best quarterback in the draft. We're not going to know for a couple of years, but doesn't that feel like that could be a huge win for this team come next Thursday? That's exactly how I view it because I'm like Stroud from the outset. I just have felt for a number of months now that it was going to be a Levis target, and I, I still uh, – it's a little bit complicated for me here because as much as I, I want to see that happen because, to me – and this is my good fortune because I like Stroud. That would be incredibly good fortune. I can't remember the last time this team has uh, dealt with any level of consistent good fortune. Thus, it's tough for me to really visualize that. On the other hand, I haven't really heard anything to change my mind on the level of interest that they have had. I've said that they have had in Levis over these months. So I'm kind of caught caught in the middle here of where I hope that they go and they're going to be able to go to where I still think that they're going to go and nothing has really changed my mind on that yet yeah and and everyone needs to be skeptical of anything you hear out there because they're not leaking stuff they're just not I can tell you that and you know Levis talked to the Colts on Saturday it it went well there I believe they're meeting with Anthony Richardson today or yesterday here at the facility They talked with C.J. Stroud last week. We're going to talk to Ballard on Friday. He's not going to give us a damn thing. That's okay. Um, But but this is the fun part, right? Like, you can really make a case for any three of the scenarios to play out. And then the, the only thing I ask, and I'm being selfish here, and I know you are as well, just draft one of them. Like, I don't know if I don't know which one's going to be the guy. We're not going to know for 12 to 18 months or even three years, but 
don't don't just sit there and take defense, right? Like just draft a quarterback and let's see how it happens. But I could talk myself into any of the three. I could easily talk myself out of any of the three easily. You know, Rhett Levis and Richardson. But it's time to pull the trigger. It's time to do it. Do, how do you view Houston with this? And you brought up, you know, maybe what could be complications with the representation um, in terms of, of Stroud to that of Deshaun Watson. And let me tell you this, if I were a fan of that team and that's what I felt was necessary to get better at quarterback and that was even a shallow reason that they gave to bypass Stroud at number two uh, or a quarterback that you liked at number two, I would be irate. I think that's dumb as hell. I do. I sit yeah, here right here I'm and think you. because it, that, that is an absolute need. And, you know, Will Anderson, fantastic. That's great. But it's a need. And it, this is much like what I think about the Colts. All right, it may blow up, and this guy, whomever they draft, may stink. But it is time to jump in the rookie quarterback pool and decide what you like, who you like, take them, and move on. And I would feel the same way at this point about the Texans unless – they are just smarter than everybody else at number two and know, you know, just in, incredibly more than everybody else does about the rest of these available quarterbacks. I think this is a stupid move. Yeah, there's two things on that I want to say. One, if the representation is a problem, that's a dumb argument because, one, this guy's a really good agent and he is someone you're going to have to work with at some capacity if you want good players on your team. Last time I checked, the Texans don't have any good players on their team. Not that many, right? So you're going to have to work with this guy at some point. To make that argument is just dumb, right? I think we're probably overblowing it a little bit. But that Watson thing was so unique and so messy and so animosity, so much animosity at the end that I I just think it's something that should be mentioned. But then secondly, if they're set on Bryce Young, the other thing is is they're – probably bad enough to be in the conversation for Caleb Williams or Drake May next year. Now, you can't play that game. You can't go into a season trying to get the number one pick, right? It's, it's just this bad It's just bad business. It's bad football. It's a, it's a loser's mentality. But the reality is that's, a, that's, that's possible for the Houston Texans. And maybe if they don't like anybody besides Bryce Young, they're just not going to force it at the quarterback decision. The Colts, everyone out there listening to your show, they know what it's like to follow a team that's not going to force it at the quarterback position for right or wrong. So Houston's a wild card here. I really feel like the Panthers are going to get their guy, and then the draft starts at number two. And if Houston doesn't take a quarterback, all of a sudden, all of the focus, all the pressure, just to one man, and that's Chris Ballard. It's, it's about whether he wants to move up to three, whether he feels confident staying at four. But all of a sudden, you're picking from a pool of three candidates as opposed to most likely two, and that changes the entire game. I'm telling you this. I walked out of the combine after watching C.J. Stroud throw in February, and I know it's the combine. It's the underwear Olympics, and everybody was talking about Anthony Richardson that day and how he could throw it 70 yards. I was not thinking about Anthony Richardson. I don't care about that stuff. I was watching the sideline throws and the accurate stuff, and I went to C.J. Stroud's pro day at Ohio State, and I was sold. Like I feel like that's the pick. If you can get him, it's a completely different conversation. And if they can somehow weasel their way out of this draft with with C.J. Stroud without having to trade up a boatload of picks (laughs) like the Panthers to move up to one, the narrative in this town is going to change and change fast. So Zach Kiefer with us. What do the cool kids say now? I'm here for it. 
Well, let me jump into the cool kid category for a moment. Let me, if, ask, let if, me ask my students about you. Yeah, please do. I'm, I'm here for the Colts passing up on, on Stroud and taking Levis. I think I'm, I'm here for, what do they call it? That smoke that is going to be for days and weeks and months at end after that. I'm here for it. I, I don't know if I am. Right? Like, wow, you're going to have to have a really good explanation for that. At this point, I don't care what their belief is. I don't care what their belief is. Do you? Stuck to our gun. Yeah. No. Do you care what their belief is? What if they like a guy? I mean, I I can't sit here and hard argue because I like C.J. Stroud on the basis of one stinking game. That's my opinion. I like him for that game. I like him for that game against Georgia. I thought that was the quarterback that this team needs. That's exactly what they need. I think that quarterback, the way that he played, would fit in great with Shane Steichen. I think that that would be perfect. But on the other hand, I mean, that's just that small sample size. I just I hope that they just go with their gut on this and that's what i would expect them to do and that's why i'm not completely sure if his availability is there that's direction zach that they'll end up going yeah and and if you stack them against richardson like it's not like you're losing the physical qualities with any of the three like they're all physically well built they can all run you mentioned the georgia game with cj stroud that's not why i'm drafting them i'm not drafting them because of the georgia game but maybe i'm on the outside but I'm drafting him because of his accuracy. Like, that wins. Like, that's what Chris Ballard has said for five years. Accuracy wins in this league. And, of course, you want a guy. Of course, you want a guy who can get out of the pocket and do some of the stuff we saw T.J. Stroud do against the Georgia Bulldogs in that, in that college football playoff semifinal. And, and I know Jim Mercer is going to be pushing for that. He wants 12 offensive players against 11 defensive players. In his mind, that quarterback becomes an extra guy because he can run because you have an extra blocker. That's absolutely a play. But Levis can run. Richardson can run. And Stroud can run. Who's the best passer of the three? For me, that's the separator. And it's not even close. It's not even close. And I could tell at the pro days that I went to. Like, Richardson's 53.8% completion percentage is 13 among 14 SEC quarterbacks. Can it get better? It can. It really can. Steichen has said that. He's only 20 years old. He's only 20 years old. He's got a lot of room to grow. But Stroud arrives as a guy who can play right away, and he can do the hardest thing in football, in my opinion, and that's put the ball in a very, very tight window under pressure. That's what sells me on C.J. Stroud. Zach Kiefer on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Listen, describing himself as a ball placement specialist was pretty good, too. I will agree with that. I love that, man. I love that. That's, I, a, that's the hardest thing for quarterbacks. Like Peyton Manning, and, and he was one of one, right? I get that. But Peyton Manning said, you know, in his first game, he, he, he said, well, the OC said, why didn't you throw it? Why didn't you throw it? The guy was open. Peyton said, he wasn't open. And he goes, no, in the NFL, that's open. So it's a huge step for these guys. And, and when you come in with that little level of ball placement specialist, as he said, like that matters. And, and it, it's going to be hard for any of these quarterbacks to step into this league and find these small windows and put them in there. But when you're bad in college, it's even more. Zach, I'm I'm curious about this, uh, and I know we're talking about two different coaches here, but do you think at this point, because we haven't seen anything um, as a head coach, because there hasn't been that opportunity yet for Shane Steichen, 
when when a lot of people believe that that Steichen's going to just wave a magic wand and transform a quarterback into something special because he's worked with very good quarterbacks in recent history, I'm always reminded at how much people offered up the quote quarterback whisperer in terms of Frank Reich and how right. that clearly was not the case. Does that concern you at all that maybe this could be before we see it a bit misguided? Yeah, you're a quarterback whisperer until you're not, right? Until you swing. There wasn't much evidence of it. Yeah, unless you're whispering, yeah, unless you're whispering to throw it to the other team or fumble it. Yes, or yeah, get sacked or refuse to make the layups. Right? Like let's let's go off of what we know. Right? And the reality is, Steichen has hit on every quarterback he's had. He's worked with. He hasn't missed yet. You just go on what you know. And he's he's won and he's had success with guys of very different skill sets. You talked about this, right? Philip Rivers the aging vet who can't move and can still get it done, Justin Herbert. And then the second, you know, the third is, is Jalen Hurts, who just got paid $255 million. And, and, and Shane Starkin had a role in that. Now, it's Jalen Hurts who earned it, but Shane Steichen had a role in that because his completion percentage, this is a small thing, but this is kind of big for me, his completion percentage jumped five points in one year. And that doesn't seem like a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a couple of third downs a game, and that can decide wins and losses. And you saw the jump that Hurts made. That matters a lot. And I keep going back to this, like Steichen is looking for the guy who lives and breathes football. Like he wants a guy who needs it. And he's been around those guys a little bit. And and that's that intangible, unmeasurable quality he's looking for. And that's why these interviews and these conversations over the last couple of weeks really are going to decide who the Colts draft, in my opinion. Like everyone's got these rumors on who they've been leaning for forever. Like they, they're not going to stack their final draft order probably until like next Thursday, like the morning of the draft, right? Because there's so many balls in the air. And then obviously Arizona is a wild card at three. You know, they're not going to trade out until draft day, right? Wouldn't you wait until you get the best offer? So that's going to be the fun part. But I think they haven't decided yet. And I think they're going to take these interviews. Like, wouldn't you wait to decide until you talk to these guys and then sort of meet as a staff? And, and I think Stacking's going to have a huge say in this. All right, Zach, before I let you go, uh, a lot of other categories indeed with the rest of this draft and these selections. Let's just say, for example, the direction positionally you would expect the Colts to go to in round number two. Well, having watched the worst offense I've ever seen the last eight, nine games of last year and maybe even the entire season, I'm, I'm just going offense, man. I'm, I'm going wide receiver. Like, like, you can find really good receivers in round two and three now. The, the college game is putting out 15 to 20 really good ones every year. This is not a great receiver class, but I still think there's talent. Uh, would love to see them pair a young quarterback with a young receiver if they find a guy they really like. Um, I'm not ruling out offensive tackle, even though they, they like Bernard Ryman and they like Braden Smith. I'm not ruling that out because that's a money position. Maybe they go right guard. I, I think they would have addressed that in free agency. They haven't yet. There's still time. Um, I think they're set at tight end, but, God, the offense needs some help. It just needs some playmakers. And if you look at the defense, like, they're down, like, four or five pretty important starters. Rodney McLeod, Bobby Okereke, Yannick Ngakwe. Like, they haven't replaced all those guys yet. But for me, uh, I would love to see a receiver be the second pick for this team. You think they'll draft an offensive lineman? And and do you think they'll draft an offensive lineman with maybe an intent on trying to slot somebody in at right guard, or they're going to find that out there as a free agent somewhere? They're going to pull somebody off their own team to slot them in, somebody we've already seen. What do you think they're going to go with that position? 
How'd that work out last year? Great. Five it was fantastic. I enjoyed it. Did you? Bottom <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I felt like I was, you know, watching Matt Ryan die in real time and in week three, right? Um, they need to not make that mistake again. And Chris Ballard acknowledged that as soon as the season was over. He said, I thought that the level of those three guys, though, you know, Braden Smith, Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, the veterans, would raise the level of the other two. Well, it didn't. It actually backfired in your face rather spectacularly. They allowed 60 sacks, for God's sakes. Like, think about that, 60 sacks. So that is, that is a flawed approach. That has proven not to work. I'm not saying Ryman can't come, you know, become the guy, but I don't – like, who's your right guard right now? Like, is it, is it Will Fry? Like, are you okay with that? And let's say you've got a rookie quarterback back there. Like, Ryan Kelly talked about this today. Like, the structure really matters for a young guy. And Ryan Kelly's played for – roughly 37 different quarterbacks in the last seven years. So he can speak on this with a little bit of authority. He's like, you want to veteranize your team as much as you can. And he said, I don't know if that's a word, but I totally get what he was saying. Like you want as much in place, as much solid structure in place as you can. And what I mean by that is you don't want the line you had last year for a rookie quarterback because you're going to get him killed. And so that's a really important thing. So to be honest right now, I don't like the options they have at right guard, and, and I think they should address that. I thought they should have addressed it with a veteran. I know it's not a super sexy position, but it can be if you can protect that inner cup, that inner pocket for the quarterback so he can see what's right in front of him. Yeah, I think we both know this, too. I, I think that they also have belief in, in the changing of offensive philosophies and such, and yes. quarterback is going to have a great deal of influence on making that old line better. I mean, that could be famous last words, Zach, but I think that the, obviously they, they believe in that. Again, the quote from Peyton Manning on quarterback Will Levis, I think this guy might have been genetically engineered to be an NFL quarterback, end quote. We got to love that this time of year. That's just a, a nugget of gold dropped into my lap here. Thank you. What if that's what if that's just what decides it, right? They go to all these all these <laughs> workouts. They they go to all the games over the course of five months of the season. They do all this scouting. They watch hundreds of hours of film, and then Peyton Manning says something on his TV show, and that's what does it. No, you and, know, and you know that Jim Jim saw that. Out. Jim saw this tweet and goes, "All right, here it is." <laughs> This is it. I just couldn't get that quote out of my mind. I can see him saying it in two weeks. Love it. Love it. All right, buddy. I appreciate it. We'll catch up again next week. Have a great rest of the week, too, Zach. Thank you. Thanks, John. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, you heard the lead-in, somebody to shove from its release point back, I believe, in May of 1992 was such a jump-off for our next guest and his band, and he will be a part of Carb Day 2023. That's May the 26th out at IMS, ims.com, for your tickets to see Brian Adams and, of course, our next guest, along with his band, Soul Asylum, Dave Perner, is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Dave, welcome to the show in Indy. How are you? Hey, man. How you doing? I'm fantastic. I'm doing real good. I got to go to practice uh, today, and we're rehearsing uh, a band with, I guess, eight extra. We got a string section and background gospel singers, and it's pretty exciting. And, of course, I'm excited about Carb Day. 
Yeah. Well, when did you find out that you guys were going to be a part of that? And and obviously, it is something special to us and a lot of people around here. What did it mean to get that call and to be a part of something that is so big that weekend that involves the Indianapolis 500 for you and your band? Uh, really exciting because it's you know it's a fun kind of event. I'm sure it's going to be a blast. I honestly thought it was a typo. I thought it was car day. And then I thought to myself, what is the carbohydrates? And then I went, ah, carburetor. <laughs> which they no longer have. But they keep the name, which is, hell, it's all, it is all good. I can tell you this by experience. Those Carb Day concerts, it's the highlight of many years right there. I mean, many years you go out there and everybody's out there and ready to have a, a good time and, and can't wait to see you guys i was thinking about this when i I played somebody to shove coming back in it occurred to me i was in college at indiana state in in may of 1992 and if there was a song that was released at a moment in music history that seemed perfect for everything around it it was somebody to shove right may 1992 that had to be perfect for you and your band yeah, it was great to uh, sort of have a song that was very aggressive and very loud and have it be kind of our introduction in a way to, a, I guess, a bigger audience. Now they play it at hockey games, and it just occurred to me that you could probably use it thinking about racing somehow, too. Yeah. Well, I was thinking <laughs> about versatile, you. So. I was thinking about you in terms of hockey because I know you to be – a pretty big hockey fan. I'm assuming of the Minnesota Wild. Uh, but I will say this, given the fact that I want to say your first autograph was Jack Parisi, right? Whose son plays Zach. Jean Paul, yes. Yeah, for the uh, the Islanders. So are you, are you more of an Islanders person because of the Parisi name or still more of a Minnesota Wild because that's your home base? Yeah, I'm a Minnesota hockey person. Um, so I was a huge fan of J.P. Parisi when I was a kid. Had an autograph picture on my wall. Even went to a, a hockey camp that he taught. So I got to, I learned my wrist shot from my hero. <laughs> and uh, you know, years later, I see Zach on the ice, and I I got really emotional because I was like, oh, he skates like his dad, you know. So I was a big Zach fan. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's Minnesota hockey. It's a big thing. I was on skates in nursery school, you know. Now, you were still in and around Minneapolis. Is obviously, your, your band, Soul Asylum, was evolving into, you know, a big nationwide thing and turning into a global thing. How upset were you in the North Stars? What was the guy? Norm Green, was that the owner then that, uh, that bailed on the team and they moved to Very Dallas? Very upset. Very upset, and I'd be in a grocery store, and I would see somebody with a Dallas Stars jersey on, and I just I got upset. I'm like, ah, they stole our team. So yeah, me and my dad used to go to North Stars games. So I just I tried to get him to go to a Wild game the other day, and he's a very old man and he passed. He's got bad legs, but I really thought I was gonna, you know, return the favor and take him to a game. But, uh, yeah. yeah, Dave. We went to a lot of games together. Dave Perner of Soul Asylum, of course, part of Carb Day coming up May the 26th at IMS. Get your tickets right now, IMS. 
NorthStarsNetwork.com. It occurred to me, too, when I was thinking about the North Stars, there was a film that came out in 92 called Untamed Heart that that was based around Minneapolis with Christian Slater and Marissa Tomei. And and they go at the very end of the movie. <laughs> I don't know how the dynamic works time-wise. At the very end of the movie, they go. Christian Slater catches a puck, and then he dies in the car ride on the way home. And that's kind of like, that's right when <laughs> I think wow. the North Stars ended up like bailing out of town and going to Dallas. I guess maybe a little bit of symmetry right there in terms of what ultimately happened to your favorite hockey team. Yeah, I have to check that movie out. I think uh, you know, slapstick and goon are a bit of the Tallahaga Knights of hockey, if you yeah. will. The movie, right? Right. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> well, I mean, when you go back to seven, the slap shot with Paul Newman in '77 is yeah. the greatest all time hockey movie, right? I mean, it, uh, the, when you talk about hockey movies in, in terms of uh, greatness, it's at the top of the list, I think. What are you, what are you going to take for a bowling movie? Is it Kingpin or is it The Big Lebowski? Which way? No, nah, I think it's still Kingpin. There's just too much with the Fairley Brothers. Is, is, and listen, it, Lebowski's great. And Jeff Bridges, there's nobody better. But with the Fairley Brothers, because there's a laugh. There's stuff that we sh- we shouldn't any longer laugh at, and we still do. <laughs> so, you know, the 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 it's round, it has three holes, and you put your finger in it kind of stuff. You know what I mean? And we're quoting yeah, that. I so, know, yeah, I know, Japine. Yeah. It's uh, Dave, <laughs> Dave Furter of Soul Asylum with us. You've been at this, you and your band, for such a long time with such a high level of success. And you mentioned going to practice here a little bit later on and working with, you know, different avenues of music and, you know, chasing a new original sound. Um, how difficult is that to do, to maintain, you know, that originality and, you know, to be an artist and a musician in this case, to come up and find something new? Well, I don't think it's difficult other than just, you know, thongs is frustrating and stuff. It's just an art process. As far as trying to sound modern, uh, the rock and roll thing, people keep thinking it's going to it doesn't, you know. I mean, people are going to listen to the synthesizers and turntables and whatever, but uh, it's it still works. I mean, there's there's these new bands out now, the uh, Amel and the Sniffers, and uh, there's a bunch of young rock bands coming out, and that's a that's a relief to me. <laughs> so. You know, at some point or another, it's just kind of doing what I do, you know. Um, but I like it loud and I like it hard and all that stuff. It just it feels right to me. And, and it's just kind of what I weaned myself on. Well, well, you got you started out with a punk band, right? I mean, it was a punk band. And then what, mid 80s, it, it transitioned into to Soul Asylum, right? So that was, I, I guess you cut your teeth on, you know, going at it hard from a, a punk sound standpoint. Yeah, they had this thing called hardcore punk, and it was just all about playing as fast as you possibly can. And uh, we kind of came out of that. And uh, around the time we put out Great Dancers Union, I had started writing with an acoustic guitar. So it was a, it was a good coincidence that we did the uh, MTV Unplugged thing. Not long after that, we were used to playing acoustically. Well, so, I mean, you know, it helps to be able to address situations. 
It's a Dave Perner with us. One of the uh, you mentioned the thirty year anniversary, I believe, right, of your uh, unplugged set for MTV yeah. that that will go down. I mean, you know, among you know Pearl Jam and Nirvana of that era, it's it's right there. You know, Allison Chains with with that level of greatness on MTV unplugged. And did you not just re release the thirtieth anniversary of that set? That is coming out on Record Store Day. When is that? We got vinyl. Uh, every year they have something called Record Store Day, and at the and it's nationwide. Okay. And uh, I think it was a bit of a reaction to uh, the big stores eating up the little stores and CDs and this, that, and the other thing. And it was kind of an effort to keep the the mon power brick and mortar or whatever you want to call it record stores alive by drawing attention to it and uh it's really fun like a lot of people come out and buy records and we're gonna play at a record store and uh i mean i prince went out and bought a record on record store day like the day before he died i believe that's true um so yeah it's it's a thing where these little i don't know record stores Come and go, but they're always going to be around. I only look so yeah. so there. Yeah, I've well, no, no, no. That's that, yeah, that's that's good because I'm a big. I was just I was thinking about it from this standpoint today because yeah, you know we we talk sports here and I was coming back in with ACDC's Back in Black because Brian Johnson on this day joined joined the band and that was you know one of those yeah one of those big moments in music history because I, I think Back in Black goes down in history as the most listened to rock album of all time. I don't know. You can debate whether or not it's the greatest, but it's tough to debate. I think it may end up being the most listened to because it just spans so many different generations and that's i like we're getting back to to the vinyl touch a little bit because that was all that's so important to music music is a great soundtrack of the great moments and we'll talk about runaway train which has a message that certainly holds true today but most of the time music does to me it puts me in a spot where it was great i didn't have a great deal of responsibility and i was having a hell of a time and it always does that it never fails to do that for me it always has meaning no matter what situation you're in and i think that's one of the great things about music any genre in general yeah you know you can't if acdc comes on the radio you can't not turn it up right i mean you have to and uh i remember the uh the kids on the hockey team listening to uh, acdc to get pumped up for the game you know it's just uh, it's kind of funny because uh, I just heard it again during some sporting event. So uh, never ending, know. never ending. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, are you a Vikings fan too, or just hockey? There uh, is from Green Bay, so I was. Oh, you're a Packer guy. There. Yeah, I forgot you so are I, from Green Bay. My, uh, I'm not actually. I wasn't born there. Wikipedia, but. Anyways, my mom is from there, and my brother is a Vikings fan, so the smack talk is fantastic. (laughs) 
We, we like to go to Vikings Packers games. <laughs> give each other a hard time. I, I think about this. We played, I think, a couple of Paul Allen is the voice of the Vikings there. I'm assuming where you are in, yeah. in Minneapolis yeah. right now. And he, he always is good for a couple of outrageous calls over the course of an NFL season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Dave, yeah, Dave Perner of Soul Asylum is uh, with us. How much did you know about the Indy 500 before you got that call that you guys in Soul Asylum are going to be a part of Carb Day? Well, I loved uh, watching. Uh, I loved watching it on the wide world of sports when right. I was a real little kid, and then kind of noticed I was getting into the crashes too much, which is kind of weird, but. Uh, I was in Indianapolis, and I went to uh, – Richard Petty was one of my favorite drivers. Just I don't know why. I like the colors of his car, I guess. So you like the uh, the STP, the blue and the, yeah. the orange-reddish kind of thing. Like, yeah, I got you. That's a cool car. I built a plastic model. So lo and behold, I just happened to be in Indianapolis, and I – I'm going to go to the NASCAR museum. So I go to the NASCAR museum, which I thought was – and none other than Richard Petty is there. <laughs> and that is, uh, wow, it, it seems surreal. <laughs> and the hat on, and he has a glow around him. And uh, I was like, holy, wow, that's him. Yeah. yeah. So that was cool. That's awesome. It's uh, Dave Turner. My other Indy story is uh, I was at a TGIF in Indianapolis, and a kid came up to me and said, hey, man, I work over at the track. You guys want to go for a ride? And he took us for a ride around the track in a van. But, you know, that was cool. (laughs) That happens. That happens often. Are you going to stay for the race? Will you guys stay for the weekend? I am going to stay. That's awesome. Well, hell yeah. So yeah. you got to come by. We um, we do a pre-race show. Now you don't have to crank it up at four thirty a.m. like me, but you got to come by where we yeah. are, right next to the pagoda, and sit down and have a little conversation with us right there. I have a cup of coffee waiting on you. Morning. No, no, no. It'll be later than that. I got to get up at four thirty. <laughs> you, you're just going to bed when I get up. So. Gosh, I hate it when I have to play a gig at 10 p.m. and then I got to go to the morning drive radio show in the morning. No, like, no, we'll give we'll give we'll give you a later in the morning slot right before we bail for you because you're just going to bed when I'm getting up right there. So nothing nothing wrong yeah. with that. So uh, I was thinking about this before I let you go. Dave Perner of Soul Asylum with us again. Carb Day tickets on sale right now. IMS.com. They're going to be spectacular. You think sometimes the uh, the music um of minneapolis is kind of lost on people considering just everybody obviously with prince and purple rain and all that but man you look back at minneapolis and along with with soul asylum you guys and just such a great you know jimmy jam and terry lewis and the replacements such a great vibe of music that has come out of minneapolis over the years amazing yeah i moved to new orleans and i lived there for 20 years one of the greatest local music scenes in the world. The contrast is is very big. Everyone in Minneapolis is playing electric guitars, and everyone in New Orleans is playing horns, and this, that, and the other thing. But people ask me that all the time. What is what's with why all this music? And I was just watching a thing with Lizzo, an interview, 
And uh, she said she was talking to her her manager in Houston, and they said, well, let's have a go at this music career thing, so we should go to Minneapolis, which kind of took me by surprise. I was like, it's still some sort of, I don't know. I mean, to me, New Orleans is like a mecca. Right. Uh, I'm from Minneapolis, so it's my hometown. But, yeah, we got a, we got a great music scene here. Yeah, and no doubt about that. You just, I mean, it's diverse, too, is is what uh, oh, yeah. I think about all the time. Hey, when was your first gig at First Avenue, which certainly was glorified in 84 with Purple Rain? When was uh, your first gig with Soul Asylum at First Avenue? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, we there there's a smaller club connected to it called the 7th Street Entry. Yeah. And we played there a lot. And then you kind of move into the big room, open for Motorhead and the Ramones and all these bands. It was definitely probably, an, it could have been opening for the Ramones. Um, so it was probably an opening slot. And then we eventually moved to signing. Yeah. It's uh, Dave Perner with us, too. Yeah, just a great music scene. That always sounds like being from that. It's, it's never really mentioned as much as some of the others. You know, obviously, everybody always leans on Seattle back in the early 90s. Is, you know, it's a level of greatness. But I've always thought Minneapolis was certainly right there. All right. So not at four. Huge connection. Seattle and the flannel and the weather. And anyways, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. But no, seriously, I, I uh, so many different bands. Sometimes you, I don't think you realize it until you dig a little bit deeper. I mean, you always you know knew with, with you and, you know, the replacements, but you dig a little bit deeper and get to some other stuff too. And it's uh, always, always pretty cool. So I can slot you in at some point at Pagoda Plaza, not at 430 in the morning, but at some point, maybe after 10, you, will you be up by 10? Maybe. Do you normally get up by 10? It doesn't sound like you get up by 10. I'm guessing you don't. No, I don't. <laughs> and why don't we trade? I got up at 5 stinking 45 this morning to get my kids off to school. Why don't we trade for a week? I want to be Dave Perner. You can be me, the clown here in Indy. How about that? I, I might actually enjoy that. I'm, I've always been kind of a... Well, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna do some guest DJing on Record Store Day. I mean, I you know I'm not a great DJ. I can't. I don't have the great uh, sort of energy that your voice has. No, shit, come like on, man. That. I would trade voices yeah. with you in a second, man. Come on. <laughs> Let, the sound of this classic classic rock voice you have. I mean, I I sound like a hillbilly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess I'd, I might I might be too slow. <laughs> I can talk fast, I suppose, if I want. I gotta I gotta think ahead. I've battled a lisp all my life. I'm gonna think ahead. There are like three or four words right. that I know I can't say. Because oh, now, that's awesome. Yeah, I gotta I gotta think How ahead crazy a little bit. Is it that, uh, that Joe Biden met when he was little? What's that again? Joe Biden had a speech impediment ah. when, he was, when he was little, and that's why he's kind of slurred. Yeah, but, I always, uh, yeah, I, I always learned this. I, that, I can't say, like, I'll try to say it now, and I can't say it for it. Rule, like R U R A L, that's a no no for me because it's, I, I just, it's brutal on me. So I, I was trying to think. Of yeah, see, I mean, look, with that, telling you, I'd <laughs> trade you in a second, man. I would. I can't wait to see you guys coming out Carb yeah, Day. You know. Let's remind everybody, May the 26th, Carb Day is at an IMS. Tickets available right now at IMS.com. And Dave Perner is 
going to join us. I'm going to go ahead and lock you in to the 10 o'clock hour on the pre-race show since you're going to that greatest spectacle in racing that Sunday. So we'll be ready for you. I'll be. I'll put you in touch with my people. You got it, buddy. See, it's cool right, to have. Man. I have no people, so I'll get in touch with your people. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, thank you. From the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, he is joining us from Parts Unknown, maybe on a walk. What time? Because you get up early. Well, I mean, you get in here, what, five minutes before you guys go on, you and Jake? Yeah, um, yeah. I try to like stay at home just in case like DefCon happens with the kids waking okay. up. Just in case. Um, so yeah, usually I I, I stroll in pretty. Because you don't you don't wash you don't wash in the morning, do you? You wear a hat every day, so you don't wash. I shower bef- my my IU teaching days is when I shower. That, that's when I decide that it's uh, it's time for me to shower, which is kind of fitting because none of my students shower before class. So Tuesdays right. and Thursdays are my shower day. So I got to shower morning tomorrow morning. FYI. See, that's why I was. I needed to be smart. Like I, I always showered and tried to look good. Not like it did me any good going to Indiana State, because um, I, I couldn't score the chicks. I always laughed at those at the time that went to Rose Holman because you know they had their slide rules and their big calculators and their big brains and all that. But at the time, it was all dude, and so those dudes were so bass backwards. They had no idea what was going on. They went to class every day in sweatpants, never changed their clothes, never washed or anything for four years at Rose Holman. But now they're making like monumentally more money than any of us because they were so much smarter. But there wasn't a chick near them for four years at Rose Holman. Then, not I'm now. Just, I'm just, I'm still kind of shocked you showered before class. Oh in, yeah, in Terre Haute. I, I would oh, think yeah. they'd almost turn you away if you showered. Hey, I was time. always. Yeah, you got to you got to keep in mind what I'm working with here. I got to do all I can. I got to do all I can to try to make it look better and presentable at all times. I, I can't have a failure because sometimes my best is just not good enough in general. Know what I mean? And I was always trying. Always. Oh, yeah. I I showered. I, the hair was looking good. I, I mean, I had the, the gold hoop earring was in. I had the gold chain outside of my turtleneck like I was in Color Me Bad. Every day I was trying, Kev, every day. Did I, uh, did I ever tell you that my dad went to Indiana State? I don't know if you and I have had this conversation before. We're not the I, same age, much, are we? <laughs> no, he's, he's <laughs> much, much older than you. But when you were talking about Indiana State baseball, it kind of got me thinking, why do I feel like Indiana State baseball is traditionally really good? They are. I mean, they have been good in the past. Yeah. Bob Warren was their longtime coach over there. And a shout-out to the Warren family. Um, hardcore dude, no doubt about that, but an awesome baseball coach. And they, uh, they do have a tradition. I, I actually did some play-by-play games for them, which was probably awful uh, when I was over there, junior and senior year. I was trying to think for a moment. Alan Bennis was a guy that pitched for Creighton. Remember Alan Bennis that played sure. notably for the sure. Cardinals, the right-hander? Uh, he was a pitcher. Uh, when they played Creighton, I did the play-by-play in Terre Haute. I went on a spring trip my senior year in March of 93 to Louisiana, and they played 
New Orleans, UNO, and then had a series with LSU in Baton Rouge, which was awesome. Skip Berkman was the the coach of LSU then, the great Skip Berkman. And Todd Walker, former major leaguer, was their second baseman. Lyle Mouton was their incredibly talented right fielder. And if you remember this name, I believe a left-hander for the White Sox and may have also been in the Blue Jays organization, Mike Sirotka was their starting pitcher. And the equipment that Indiana State gave me on this trip didn't work, and I had to call that game from a payphone. <laughs> How could you see the diamond? Um, the payphone, and I was like, if it were like, there's no payphones today, but yeah, the payphone was right. I had to look, uh, I kind of had to get on my tiptoes. I could not see all the field, but I had to call a game, call a game from a payphone. <laughs> this picture, yeah, ball the right field. I can't really see it. Let me put the phone down and walk away. No, no one touched this phone, by the way. Yeah, exactly. So, but back when, like when I was still young, Zane Smith. You remember that name, left-hander? Spent a lot of time in Major League Baseball, most notably, I think, with the Braves. Zane Smith, also yeah, with the Pirates. I believe Zane Smith was a part of that Pirate team that lost to the Reds in their wire-to-wire season in 1990 when they played the Pirates with Bonds and Bonilla and Andy Van Slyke in the 1990 NLCS. I think uh, Zane Smith was a part of that. He is also a former Sycamore left-handed pitcher. Gotcha, yeah. I feel like, I don't know, maybe in recent years they've made like a couple of regionals and everything, and then I saw what they did to Vanderbilt, who yep. was always really, really good last night. So, yeah. nice work by the Sycamores. 11 straight wins. Things are starting to heat up over there, buddy. Look out. Yeah, well, certainly not in Cincinnati, though. If, um, yeah, 18 zip in the past two games. How about that? I was uh, talking with Eddie Garrison earlier, and so this is what, six straight games have been, been decided by at least seven runs? I think I think that's what the streak is right now. And I'm pretty sure that's approaching a Major League Baseball record. Now, they have won some of those games, but literally none of these games have been close whatsoever. Uh, here as of late, you know, they did beat Tampa. You know, they, they had the big one. Uh, yeah. They scored, what was it, 13 over the weekend against Philly. But uh, nothing from an entertainment value standpoint in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning. Uh, you know, what's the, the most sad about that is, um, like, fans of the Reds like us, we're just so used to stuff like that. It just kind of rolls off our shoulder. I mean, it really has no effect on us anymore, right? And in in terms of the Reds, I mean, this is – we're kind of – like, people were excited regarding the Colts, Kev, about drafting number four and that possibility. But beyond that, there's not a lot of juice going into this year. I mean, this is going to have to be manufactured going into this year. I'm not suggesting it's where the Reds are right now. But it's not too far off in terms of juice and excitement for this team that does not involve picking fourth a week from tomorrow night. Yeah, I I think that, you know, a week from Thursday is like your first attempt at hope. I mean, that's your your first, like, chance at a Tyrese Halliburton type of move. And, and again, Halliburton obviously had already played in the league for a year and a half and, and, you know, was, you know, an instant impact guy, and it's probably you know, way too uh, much of a high expectation to think the rookie quarterback's going to walk in here and either A, start from day one, or B, you know, show you something right away. But I do think 
you know, what next Thursday can offer is just a little bit of, all right, here we go. We are finally trying something that we have not tried as a franchise in quite some time. We are finally joining the masses in, in I believe, how you have to build a football team at, at, at the highest level and doing what every other AFC team did that made the playoffs last year. All seven of them had drafted their quarterback. So I do think that is what Thursday can offer. Of course, it's late April and nothing matters until the fall on the field. And obviously a rookie quarterback, you know, might not show you something until year two or year three. So for all those reasons, you, you are, it's going to have to be kind of baby steps, but next Thursday, I think can offer it a little bit of a, all right, here we go. It's the first step, and it's the necessary step. So Kevin Bowen, Morning Show, Kevin and Query. Chuck Pagano is going to appear on their show coming up tomorrow. I'm sure we'll bring that up in just a minute. Kev's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline with us. I brought this up at the outset of the show and kind of laughed about it um, from Omaha Productions and from uh, the mouth of Peyton Manning regarding Kentucky QB Will Levis. Quote, I think this guy might have been genetically engineered to be an NFL quarterback. End quote. I love it because I can just envision Jim Irsay reading that and all of a sudden going, all right, there's our guy right there, regardless of what happens. Right? I, I'm not suggesting this is going to play a role, but it is kind of funny to think about it. Knowing how much Jim takes as gospel in what Manning says, kind of funny to think about. Yeah, I'd love to see the look on Chris Ballard's face when he saw that quote, just thinking, oh, God. Um, yeah, you know, I know Manning has mentioned Levis before. I think in one of the college game day appearances he had this past year, um, you know, I, I do know he's pretty close with Bryce Young. With that relationship, of course, that doesn't look like it's going to be happening. You know, to me, yeah, I, I think the question becomes, again, how much is Ursa involved? Um, you know, I think Shane Steichen should have the most say in this. I'm not holding my breath that he will, but I think he deserves to have the most say in that he's going to be the one working uh, closest with them. He's the one that's had quarterback success in his resume. Chris Ballard is not that guy. Um, so for those reasons, I think Shane Steichen should have the most say of that trio. Again, that's not my expectation necessarily, but that is what I think should happen. Um, and, you know, does Ursa do something to the effect of like, all right, I'm mandating that we take a quarterback now. You two, you know, Chris and Shane, you two decide exactly, you know, what that choice is going to be. Uh, but, yeah, I, I can only imagine what Chris Bauer thought when he saw that quote from uh, from Peyton. What is Peyton's relationship with Levis, like Manning Academy affiliated? I, I'm, just, I'm just assuming. I'm assuming that. Yeah. And I, I would guess that, you know, he's somebody that, cares about his word and all we have to do is go back to when he spoke on behalf of hey luck's excited about coming back and he can't wait to come back and then when luck decided to bail that didn't make manning very happy you know what i mean so he's a man when he puts his word out there yeah he he backs it up so i uh, i can't imagine he just floated out that you know like like normally happens this time of year i mean quotes float out there you know by the boatloads here and it really doesn't matter i just think that it carries a little bit of weight when he says it, especially in this case. Yeah, I mean, to your point, Peyton Manning is extremely calculated with everything he says or or, or does. So, yeah, he's not just going to say it to, you know, say it. Um, like, you know, you or I might have whatever kind of throwaway comment on the show. Peyton is not like that whatsoever. So, yeah, I, again, I don't, I don't know. The whole Ursa involvement, really, really interesting to try and, you know, kind of sift through. And usually we, we hear from him like Saturday of the draft, so maybe we'll get a little bit of an insight 
um, from him on exactly what the thought process was there. Um, but again, in my opinion, Chris Bauer, Shane Steichen, and Shane deserves to have more of the say than uh, than Chris. Yeah, it's funny. I brought this up to Mike Chapel Kev last week. I said. And this sounds bad, but really it's not because you mentioned Manning being calculated with his words. You know, all these teams right now are overzealous in their calculations to make sure nobody knows anything about them except for them. And I asked Mike if he thought that Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard were telling Jim everything. Everything that they know leading up to. And that, that kind of, I thought, was amplified when he sent out that collage of pictures on Sunday regarding draftable quarterbacks that the Colts might be able to take here. Do you think that he's being told everything? Absolutely everything. Not to, again, a, a demeaning and or left out proposition. But do you think that they they tell him everything? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, I've wondered the same thing. I, I, I don't know if they are telling him um, everything. If I were them, I would not. Uh, I mean, I know it's a bit awkward. That guy signs your checks, but you know, this information, the ability How would you do that? to private. Exactly. How would you do that? How did you go about doing that? I mean, he is yeah, I, your boss. That, that seems like that that would be a pretty difficult navigation. Does it not? Sure. And I mean, you would think that Jim Mercy's history in the NFL would kind of lend him to understand, you know, the, the amount of secrecy that's needed to, you know, execute whatever sort of plan you're trying to do around the draft, particularly quarterback related. I mean, I think back to what Kansas City did and how secretive they were with Mahomes, and they had it in with Mahomes' agent, so they were able to I think, get some intel on which teams they needed to trade above New Orleans being the team that they ended up trading above to draft him at number 10. But that's what this sort of process, that's how it needs to kind of happen. Um, and, and, you know, from an organizational standpoint, Again, I don't know how much, you know, Jim thinks back on this, but, you know, Bill Polian has told the story and Jim has told the story about, you know, they're getting ready to turn in the card for Clay Matthews in 2009 and boom, all of a sudden the Patriots, or excuse me, all of a sudden Green Bay in a very rare move. I think they trade up with New England. I think that's what the Patriot connection was. And they get Clay Matthews and the Colts get Donald Brown. And that would have been a great time in kind of passing the torch from Dwight Franey and eventually Robert Mathis to a great pass rusher. So, I mean, keeping stuff as secret as secretive as possible. I, I mean, that's got to be of like utmost importance right now. That's why I thought Zach Kiefer, who I know you had on earlier, I thought he did a great ex- exercise earlier in the week, and then he looked back in like previous Ballard quarterback comments, like previous drafts when they weren't going to draft a a quarterback uh, to kind of get a little bit of insight into okay, wh- what has he said previously that you could kind of you know draw some um, some conclusions from, but. Um, yeah, I, I would not. I, mean, I don't know if you need to hide the board from them. I don't know if, like, you know, uh, I, I don't know how you go about that, but I would want as few people in my organization possible to know what we are doing out of fear of it leaking. It's uh, Kevin Bowen, Morning Show, Kevin and Query, 7 until 10 a.m. Right here on the fans on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So th- this is all a bunch of hypothetical stuff because that's all we have to go on. But let's just say a lot of these reports, a lot of these conversations are true. Bryce Young, top of the board. Carolina picks him. Houston has zero interest in a quarterback, which I think is a stupid move for a team that is very needy of a quarterback. But whatever. They don't draft a quarterback. And you see C.J. Stroud slide all the way down to number four 
Do you envision a way? And and again, I'm very pro C.J. Stroud. I like him a great deal. I like him more than anybody else as a quarterback in this draft. But do you envision the chance that maybe the Colts would bypass selecting Stroud and go with a Levis? I don't think it's a Richardson, but a Levis over a Stroud because that might be somebody they have decided on already. Do you view that as logical and or reasonable, Kev, whatsoever? Um. I, I wouldn't agree with it, uh, to your point. I, I Of those three, I would take Stroud. I, I still haven't crossed, you know, Anthony Richardson off the list yet either. Um, you know, me speaking on, for myself, you know, when I've heard the Levis chatter, a, a lot of that was pre-Shane Steichen's hire. Um, so, again, it gets back to the earlier point we were, we were discussing a bit is how much say does Shane Steichen have um, and how much influence would that change things? Does he look at a guy like Anthony Richardson and say, hey, that's a little bit more of what I worked with in Philly from a dual threat standpoint? Shane Steichen, unlike Chris Ballard, has been more of a, I think you can get better from an accuracy standpoint. Does he truly believe that? Do they look at the drops that Anthony Richardson had at Florida with his you know, pass-catching group and say that's a little bit more there to work with than just the raw 53 54% accuracy number? So, um, I would think out of those three, um, they would take Stroud. Um, but I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I don't say that again. I've repeated this quite often. I know it doesn't make for necessarily great radio, but you know we, we've talked for the last five or ten minutes about how secretive the process needs to be. Like, I, I'm not going to sit here and lie to people and act like I, I'm hearing like the strong convictions one way or the other. I'm not, and that means the Colts are doing their job. Um, but I would think under those three, it would be Stroud. But again, I haven't ruled out Anthony Richardson at all. Yeah, I, I just, uh, I just wonder. I, I really do wonder. And when you know a lot of these things, you know, you hear about the Stroud coachability or lack thereof, or the leadership qualities or lack thereof. That kind of makes me wonder one or two things here. I mean, it could just be just, you know, worn out BS because we're close to the end of the process here of this draft, and that's what normally happens. Or it could be true, and some teams have been turned away because of this. And with that, it wouldn't surprise me. It would not surprise me in the least. Yeah, so that brought up earlier in the week, John, and this kind of goes back to C.J. Stroud and the Georgia game. I mean, just – I mean, who was not in awe watching that? Yeah, right. uh, I mean, that was yeah. a banged-up Ohio State offense, too. Yep. I think we kind of forget that. You know, Marvin Harrison Jr. got banged up in that game. No Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think their running back was out. And we, what he was able to do was just darn remarkable against the best defense, you know, probably in college football and on a neutral field, national semifinal, et cetera, et cetera. And it got me thinking, like, if you go back to that 2018 draft where, you know, you had Baker Mayfield go one, Sam Darnold go three, Josh Allen go seven – if you look at the final seasons for those three guys in college, Baker Mayfield had the iconic Oklahoma plant the flag in the horseshoe game early in the season where you, you get kind of that road Big 12, Big 10 matchup, and boom, Baker Mayfield has a great game, and they win at Ohio State. Sam Darnold, you know, terrific late in the year against Stanford, throws for 350 in the Rose Bowl. I mean, the biggest opponents and the biggest stages, Darnold delivered. And Josh Allen – it's a game against Oregon, right, right. which, you know, if you are a Wyoming guy, you are dreaming to play a, a power five program to kind of showcase yourself. 
and against Oregon on his home field. It was a very rare game that Oregon traveled actually to play at Wyoming. Josh Allen completed 37% of his passes. So th- this is a, in comparison to Levis, the Levis season last year to Josh Allen. This Is this the comparison that's being made? You know, I'd be – you could probably go there. Um, you know, I, I don't think like Anthony Richardson is that far off either, just okay. from um, you know flashes either. I think both Levis and Richardson kind of fall into a a similar um, you know area there. And, and I guess that's the question of like you've got Baker and Darnold in that sense that were at these high level programs, delivered on the big stages. Josh Allen is not that guy. Didn't deliver on the one stage that he got. How do you view that? And how do you evaluate that? Because clearly, if you look at their NFL careers, it's totally, totally different. I mean, I've talked with NFL scout, not with the Colts, but on a different team. And he was saying when it comes down to Levis and Richardson, for, for him, it's junior year Matthew Stafford is, is the comp that he sees um, with Levis. And then with Anthony Richardson, it's a better version of Malik Willis, which you know is certainly not some ringing endorsement. After what we saw um, from you know Willis this first season there in Nashville, so um, that's what I think makes this process just incredibly difficult. And then we haven't even factored in what happens when adversity hits, what happens when fame hits, what happens when you know, stardom hits, all of those things. And, you know, look at the Jalen Hurts contract extension yesterday, and why I think it's a great thing that Will Levis has on his resume. I think it's a great thing that Hendon Hooker has on his resume, and you saw with Hurts. You get guys that transfer, there's a level of, you know, humility that you have to go through. Levis didn't win the job at Penn State. You know, uh, Jalen Hurts got benched in the biggest scene, biggest stage in college football. And so you, you've been dealt a little adversity. And you go to a different place, you have to get reintroduced to that, learn a new playbook, those sorts of things. That's kind of NFL life. And so I think for Hurts, obviously, he's excelled at a you know, extraordinarily high level. And then with Levis and, and even Hooker, I would think teams would view that as a positive of this guy has not had it spoon-fed to him throughout or has dealt with some adversity. And if you're going to nitpick C.J. Stroud, it probably has been smooth sailing for him. Ohio State was a three-touchdown favorite in pretty much every game that they played. How much of that was C.J. Stroud doing and how much of that was just, you know, they were the superior opponent due to all the talent around him week in and week out. I'm kind of hanging with it, I guess, um, just because I really haven't been – dealt too many reasons not to hang with it but i i will hold on to this whole levis scenario until i I guess proven otherwise by the draft next week or any further information what's funny about this is and we'll close this up here with with kevin bowen of the morning show kevin and query on the andy moore automotive group hotline is we make fun of this more times than not and especially in terms of you know horseshoe guys and the leadership and you know that really matters and mostly you talk about that in you know nice positive terms when they're winning and you know nobody's a leader and it's bad when they're losing but honestly a ton factors in to leadership qualities and coachability for who they're going at here and as much as I like Stroud, that was one of, not that I completely buy it at all, but one of the the red flags that have been put out there are those two things. And that also has me thinking. And again, overthinking it all because none of us know. And I realize that. Right. But it certainly has me staying put to my thoughts that I'd have to be 
have a big change of heart or be really surprised if it's still not going to be Levis, even with Stroud on the board. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, and I think it's totally fair to your point, John, of like having that that question because you know I think Shane Steichen's made it pretty clear, and even Ballard to a degree, but I say Steichen a little bit more publicly, like that is a separ- separator for him. Right. Is, if you look at Steichen's history, you know Philip Rivers, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, they all look a lot different from each other. They all play a lot different from each other. Their career paths in getting to these places are are different as well. But all three of them, if you listen to Steichen, they're just wired in a very, very unique manner, and it's what he feels like is necessary to to succeed at a really, really high level. So I don't think – I mean, even Stroud, I mean, I I guess some of this is starting to evolve. How much of that is team-driven of, hey, let's talk Stroud up in this light so he falls to us. (laughs) Maybe that is a little gamesmanship here in April. I don't think any of them are viewed in some red negative character flag like Kyler Murray necessarily coming out. I thought had a lot more attention on him of like, hey, is he really all in on football? Like those sorts of questions. No, this is normal. Yeah, this is normal. Any of that. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, again, to your point, John, like when it's quarterback and it's the fourth overall pick, that stuff matters. And I know, like you said, it's easy to make fun of. It's easy to kind of poke at. But, you know, what, what separated Manning? And I'd say a lot of it was because he won too. Yeah, and we we only talk about that that mattering when you win. I mean, and and I I guess it's magnified when you lose, and then it's a problem. So I I mean, the Manning point. Yeah, I mean, to the the Manning point again, it's how you're wired. He went three and thirteen and threw how many interceptions as a rookie? You know, a lot of guys would just continue to crumble or continue to go down that path. But you know, he obviously and his genes probably helped. uh, It's just you know, built a little bit differently from a between-the-ears standpoint. His jeans starting with a G or the J? You're not talking about his blue jeans, right? <laughs> well, yeah, the one quarterback we talk about, the blue jeans, has been uh, a whole lot in the news here lately. Hey, did, right? I, did I hear this morning that you didn't go out and have some drinks with your students? How, yeah, old, how you, old have you become? Did you catch that? Oh, wow. yeah, I caught it. I catch everything, yeah. Yeah, so Connor from my class, Connor, um, you know, I, I, I leave class or whatever, half hour passes from the end of class, talk yeah. to a few students after class. I'm walking down Kirkwood back to my car. Connor wearing a totally different outfit than he had wore 30 minutes earlier in my class. It, he seemed like he had already ripped about four or five shots after class as well. You know, Kevin, you got to come to upstairs. I mean, upstairs was packed. Yesterday <laughs> was such a glorious Bloomington day. Upstairs. And, uh, so I just give him the awkward fist pound. I'm like, oh, I'd love to. Got to go pick up the kids from daycare. And, boy, I just Man, bit yeah. the curb. I just – I smoked the curb. You got about 20 sorority girls that just are dying laughing at me. I mean, I could not have looked older in my life. Man, and you could have gone up to – they still have the trophy peeing and upstairs? I would I would hope. My, my wife and I, we actually did a little Bloomington overnight a few years ago, and we went to upstairs – See, upstairs and did upstairs and Dunkirk combine? Or yeah. am I imagining things? I thought. Well, see, when I was when I was young, it was uh, hooligans and upstairs. It was combined, and there was a huge trough that once upon a time got puked in by a notable and got stopped up. And it maybe was the worst thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> got stopped up by somebody, Jack, and it filled up like nobody stopped going to the bathroom. And it was, it was like deep. It was like a, it was like a urine aquarium. <laughs> <laughs> hey, go to the reef shop at fifty sixty Keystone. Better yet, you can get the urine aquarium down at the old 
Don't put your goldfish in that. Um, all right, tomorrow morning, <laughs> Chuck Pagano with you and Jay, correct? Yeah, Chuck Pagano, 9 a.m. Uh, love it, Daniel. Chuck Strong Gala coming up on Friday. You got it, buddy. Appreciate you.